Okay, we are reading today from Matthew chapter 15, and we're going to read from verses 1 through 14. Matthew chapter 15. Now, Jesus, let me just say that Jesus has set us free from the law. So, there were 613 commandments that were given by Moses to Israel. And God gave those 613 commandments and then they were delivered by Moses. And that's called the Mosaic Law. To those 613 commandments were added by the Jews lots and lots of other commandments. And Jesus never gave much respect to the other person-made commandments. He obeyed fully the 613 commandments. We are no longer even under any of those 613, not even the Ten Commandments, except those of the Ten Commandments that are embodied in the New Testament. Nine of the ten of them are embodied in New Testament commandments. Uh, uh, Nine of the ten of them. There's one that is not there, and that is the law concerning the Sabbath day. All right? Not that we can't enter into a Sabbath rest, but we are not under the strict law of the Sabbath day, which has always been Saturday, never a Sunday. But there are about 150 commandments in the New Testament which can keep us quite busy, just trying to to walk in those. And so in that context, let me then begin. Matthew chapter 15, verse 1. Then some scribes, then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother, and by this you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Okay, so again, given the, given the context here, they question Jesus about why his disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. And that is not one of the 613 commandments, yet that is one of the person-made commandments that the Pharisees had come up with. It's not necessarily bad to wash one's hands, but Jesus is saying it doesn't do anything for anybody spiritually. And then he says to them, why do you invalidate the Word of God for the sake of your traditions? And he gives them an example. And he says, the Bible says you should honor your your father and your mother... And he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. Now, aren't you glad we're not under the law? I don't know if you've ever spoken evil of your mother or father. Ever? Ever. Okay. So some people are saying, no, they never have. Well, good for you. I would not be here. Okay? And so, so, and I presume many of us here wouldn't be here. So I'm very glad that we're not under the law. But let me say that it is a very good practice to never speak evil of one's father or mother. 
You may not like everything they did in their bringing you up, but I assure you when you are a parent, you will not do everything right either. And to the extent that you learn how to walk in forgiveness, I think your children will learn to forgive you for your mistakes. And if you say, I would never do such and such to my children, like my mother or my father did to me, then you are even more prone to do that very thing. Because remember, when we are prone to be seeing the speck in someone else's eye, we generally have a log in our own. And Jesus said that sometimes you say, whatever I could do to help my mother and father financially has been given to God. Now, this was a Pharisaical thing. The Pharisees had this practice called korban. And that word korban is used in other passages in the New Testament when Jesus is describing this situation. So, Mr. Pharisee, Mr. Cohen, for example has this, this, this bunch of money, and the Pharisees generally were quite rich because of the system that they would set up for themselves. He sees his father coming to, up the walk to his house, knowing that his father has some need and may ask for some help. So before his father arrives at the house, he says, Korban. Well, by saying Korban, it means that whatever I have has been dedicated to the Lord. And the Pharisees, in one of their their rules had this practice that anything that was dedicated to the Lord could either be given to the temple, to another Pharisee, or they could keep it for themselves for their own use, but it couldn't be given to anyone else. How convenient. So Mr. Cohen's father comes and says, your mother and I have a need. And Mr. Cohen, the Pharisee, says, oh, I wish you had come sooner because I just prayed the Korban prayer. And that which I may have been able to help you with, I can no longer because it's been dedicated to the Lord. And that's exactly what Jesus was talking about. He says, therefore you have invalidated the word of God because you're to honor your mother and your father. And it is not at all wrong for us as we get older to care for our mother and our father. To help to care for them financially if there's a financial need. And to help to care for them physically if there's a physical need. And not that a mother or father should absolutely work toward expecting that, but it is the role of children, as parents get older, to begin to take care of them. And Jesus said, you are to honor them. And I can tell you, I can tell the maturity of a young person by the way that they would speak of their mother and their father. And a person who is always putting their mother or father down, I know that they're not very mature in their understanding of the Scriptures. They're not to do that. Not that they've done everything right, but still they are your mother or your father. Just like your pastor. And Jesus says, you invalidate the word of God through this process. And then in verse 10, Jesus goes on and he says, After Jesus called the crowd to him and he said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what enters into a man's mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth. This defiles the man. Then the disciples came and said to him, Did you not know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Okay, so Jesus said, It's not what goes into a man's mouth that defiles him. It's what comes out. Because what comes out is an indication of what comes from the heart. What we say is an indication of what's in our heart. 
And then some of the disciples say, hey, you know, when you said that, you offended some of the Pharisees. And so Jesus' reply is, I offended them? Boy, I'm sorry. Offense is the greatest sin. You know that. We should never say anything that would offend anybody. Nobody should ever offend anyone. I'm sorry. Tell the Pharisees I'm sorry. I never should have done that. No, he didn't say that at all. In other words, if what we speak is the truth of the Word of God and somebody is offended, that is not our problem. That is that person's problem or God's problem. And I don't think God is sweating about it. Because the truth is there to set them free. And people will often put this upon us. Hey, you can't do that because that's offensive to say that to a person. If what we're saying is the truth of the Word of God, according to the Scriptures, it is not wrong to speak it. Because Jesus said, everything that is not of my Father is going to be uprooted. Speaking the Word of God is an offense to the unbeliever. In fact, the Word of God says that the Spirit of God, the things of the Spirit, are a stench to the unbeliever, while they are a sweet aroma to the believer. And then in verse 15, Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And Jesus said, are you still lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slander. These are the things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. Look what concerns Jesus more. Evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, theft, false witness, slanders. This is what... This is what Jesus is more concerned with. So what I want to talk about today is legalism. All these little things, though we've been freed from the law, the church often puts forth things of legalism and says, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, without any scriptural basis. And they'll put it in their bylaws. And their bylaws are just like the laws of the Pharisees. If something is in the scripture... We don't have to pray about whether we obey it or not. We obey. It is there. Someone says, you know, I'm I'm praying about whether I should get a divorce. Well, I can tell you that the scriptural basis for divorce is very slim. And that's if there is a practice, a continual practice of an immoral relationship by the spouse. And that's the only scriptural basis. So if you don't like your husband anymore, or you don't like your wife anymore, or you like somebody else now, that is not a basis for divorce. It's not a matter of prayer, it's a matter of obedience. But then there are other things that are not expressly written that each person is free to choose. One is not a legalist by putting a certain set of rules around oneself. One is a legalist by taking that set of rules and then applying it to another person. I will give you an example. I do not drink alcohol. But there is no scriptural basis for my putting that on anybody else. And people will even change the scriptures in order to support their own position. And the the, the logic goes like this. Drinking alcohol is wrong. 
That's the false premise. Jesus would never do anything wrong. That is true. Therefore, Jesus did not drink wine. You see how the false premise leads to a false conclusion that is actually unscriptural. And people will say, Jesus drank grape juice. He drank of the fruit of the vine, which is grape juice. Actually, that is not true. Both in Greek and in Hebrew, there's a perfectly good word for grape juice. There's also a perfectly good word for wine, something that it contains alcohol. And all the references are to that Jesus turned water into wine. Jesus served wine at the Last Supper. Now, I don't drink alcohol because I've chosen not to. There was a time in my life that I did, and even when I became a believer, I did. Didn't think much about it. When I got married, even before I got married, when I got engaged, my wife came from a family that didn't drink alcohol. And I could see that if I had a beer or a glass of wine or something, it bothered Shireen. So I made a choice to stop. I don't put that upon you at all. Not at all. But I made a choice to stop. That is not legalism. Any of us can make a choice around what we want to make a choice. And we're going to see all sorts of scriptures on this. But then to put it upon another person is wrong. The other thing, the people will have these little pet things. You know, in the church it used to go, be that you didn't go to theaters. Good Christians don't go to theaters. They don't go to movie theaters. You, you remember that. Don't you remember that? You remember those days. Miss Harrison, do you remember that? Yes, yes. And... Did you know this thing of, of not going to movie theaters? You, you know, now you think, oh, come on, that can't be... You, you know, it used to be that Christians said, you don't have faith if you wear glasses. I'm not kidding you. Say, that's odd. Well, Christians are really odd with what they come up with. In fact, I knew a woman who flushed her contact lenses down the drain. And this was almost 30 years ago. This is when contact lenses cost a lot of money. There were no disposable contact lenses then. Because she was so inflicted with this thing, if I really had faith. And then she paid the price for it. You know, she didn't get, you know, 2020 vision back either. And the church did this with cars as well early on. Said cars were sin, sinful. And the church has many things. It may be cards. It may be dice. Could be wine. And there are all sorts of things that, that the church may put out there. Some people will tell me, oh, you ought to be a vegetarian. And I'm like, based on what? And they'll even pull these scriptures out. Well, you can find isolated verses where people ate vegetables. Then you can find other places where they ate meat too. Remember there was a Passover lamb that they had to eat? You couldn't just eat lamb tofu. You had to eat the lamb or you're going to die. Jesus rose from the dead. It says he ate a piece of fish. They served him fish and he ate it. And if a Christian wants to be a vegetarian, that's fine. But there's no scriptural basis for putting that desire in your life upon another. That becomes legalism. Look in Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. Verse 1. Now accept the one. Romans 14.1. Now accept the one who is weak in faith but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, 
And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. He who eats does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God, and he who eats not, for the Lord he does not eat and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. But why do you judge your brother, or again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. So you see, the Bible says that some people like to eat vegetables only, and some people don't have that restriction. And the world will put upon you, oh, the, that person's really sold out to the Lord. They only eat vegetables. They're just sold out to the Lord. That's what happens in legalism. The person who refrains from something is regarded as the more spiritual person. But the Bible puts it the other way around. The Bible here regards the one who eats vegetables only, as the weak one. And the one who has freedom to eat what he likes, as the stronger one. This is so much easier to share with you guys who are in college than to share with a bunch of old folks. Because a bunch of old folks have these things that are ingrained with them, and, and they, 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 they took it as gospel, and they don't even know the difference between the scriptures and these bylaws. They don't. They'll think, they'll think that it's all one and the same, and it's not. It's just like the Pharisees who mixed these things up together and didn't know which one was the law of Moses anymore and which one was the traditions of men. And Jesus came to set us free. He freed us. Jesus said, I, this is a new commandment I give to you. And the scriptures say in, in Hebrews, we have a better commandment founded upon better promises. We're not under the law of Moses anymore. And you know what we want to do as people? Give me the law of Moses. I want to go back under it. My church bylaws. This is really what I want. Good Baptist doctrine. He says, he says uh, um, in verse 2 of, of chapter 14 of Romans, One person has faith that he may eat all things, but the one who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who refrains is in fact weaker. Unless the refraining is for the sake of a brother which we're going to see. But he says one go- in verse 5, one person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Verse 6, he who observes the day observes it for the Lord. He, he who eats does so for the Lord. So some people have certain days that they regard. Let me give you an example. Christmas Day. I come from a Jewish background. I don't care about Christmas. I really don't. I mean, it's a big thing to a lot of people. How dare you speak about Christmas like that? In a church? On Sunday? You talk about Christmas like that? So all of a sudden, Sunday is a more holy day than any other day. The church building is a more holy place than any other place. 
And Christmas, well, what's Christmas? December 25th. We know that 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 day means absolutely nothing scripturally. In fact, if there was a scriptural day, Jesus was probably born during the Feast of Tabernacles. But we don't know for sure. But there's no scriptural basis for the Christmas celebration. Now, if people want to celebrate it, that's fine. And sing happy birthday to Jesus, that's fine. But there's no scriptural basis for it. But people think that if you don't go to church on Christmas, you're going to hell for sure. The other day it's, is Easter. Oh, well, Easter's talked about in the Bible. Yeah, but the day that the Gentiles celebrate Easter is not the real Easter day. It's not. We go by, by this solar calendar. In Israel, they never did. They go by a lunar calendar. And only on the rare occasions when the two coincide... Are the Gentiles doing it on the right day anyway? Because it should be the day after Passover that Jesus rose from the dead. Well, the Passover goes by the lunar calendar, so you've got to go when the Jews do it. And in fact, there's a whole sect of the Jews who feel that the Jews don't even have the day right. That they're skewed by about a week. And people are like, oh, you've got to go to the sunrise service. you got to. Well, why? Because Jesus rose on the sunrise. And, did you know that they're probably wrong? Because the, the Bible says that Mary went to the tomb while it was still dark. And so Jesus rose before she even got there. So it was still dark when he rose. So if, you're, if you think it's at sunrise, you're already too late. He's already risen. You got the time wrong too. It's a bunch of human stuff. But it says some people want to regard the day. Okay, if those weaker people want to have, you know, Easter's V-Day, let them have the day. Don't make fun of them. And they shouldn't make fun of you because you want to sleep in. Because you have no regard for this, you know, sunrise service. Or, you know, New Year's Eve, you've got to be taking the Lord's Supper at midnight. I mean, from where? It's not in the Scriptures. We are really free. If you want to practice that, fine. My wife loves Christmas. She loves everything around Christmas. She loves the smell of Christmas. She loves the decorations. I hate it. I've got to go up to the attic, bring down the tree again, and that's why I invite students over. Help me. You know, and, and on December 1st, you, you know, or right, after, right before Thanksgiving, or right after Thanksgiving, we have the students in to help us with this, and Shereen makes soup and sandwiches, and I say, go set up everything. I hate it. You say, well, now that it's set up, can we just leave it all year? So we don't have to set it up again. It'll be Christmas all year. That you love Christmas? <laughs> no, but that's part of the fun for her, for me. It's different for different people. You want to regard a day? That's fine. We have total freedom in Christ to regard it one day or another day. The Bible says that they gathered on the first day of the week for the Lord's Supper. for the apostles' teaching, for fellowship, and for prayer. That's why we have our church services on Sundays. There is a scriptural basis for that. But there is not a scriptural basis for us maintaining the Sabbath day, for example. We'd have to rest. And Sunday never replaced the Sabbath day. Never. And we are free from that. And so the Word of God is trying to set us free. These issues are issues that are amoral. They're not immoral. They're not moral. They're amoral. It's sort of like driving a car. 
Driving a car doesn't make you more scriptural or less scriptural. It's amoral to drive a car. Amoral. These are amoral issues. And so why would we want to obey them? Look down in, in, in chap, Romans chapter 14. Verse 13. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or stumbling block in a brother's way. I know that, and I am convinced that the Lord, that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking in accordance with love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you good, a good thing, be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So, and there are other verses on the same thing. There's, uh, uh, for example, 1 Corinthians 8, verses 14, 1 Corinthians 8, verses 4 through 13, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23 onward. Talk about this sort of thing. Let me give you another example. And I tell you all the time, cigarettes. Cigarettes are not sinful, they're just stupid. That's it. There is no inherent sin in it. And people will then quote Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we shouldn't do anything to destroy our body. But if that were the case, what don't we eat? Donuts. Those donuts are not good for us. So then donuts should be sinful under the same logic, right? Donuts are not good for you. Unit per unit, they're worse than cigarettes. But they're not good for you. But on that basis... Are you then sinning if you eat a donut? It's not what goes into a man's mouth. Now, to eat a bunch of donuts is just stupid. You eat, if, you eat, if you eat half a dozen donuts every day, you're going to pay a price for it. And, and, uh, um, but it's not inherently sinful. Jesus has set us free from this. But there is a basis if it offends another. I could see that my having a drink bothered my wife. So I don't drink. Now... If my having a drink bothered you, I wouldn't do it in your presence. But my wife is always with me, so I gave her a drink. It wasn't to me a big deal. So we don't drink in our home. And a lot of people come to our home and they bring a bottle of champagne. They don't know that we don't drink. So I smile and I graciously accept it. And as soon as they leave, I give it to my Catholic neighbors. And my Catholic neighbors love these Baptists who live next door. Because we get these really fine bottles of champagne and wine and we give it to the Catholics and let them enjoy it. And it's okay. It's all right. We are free in Christ to do this. Now look in in Colossians chapter 2. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Colossians 2, verse 16. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Look at this list. No one's to act as your judge on this. Cards. You know, it used to be, remember Mrs. Harrison, cards, deck of cards? I mean, they were sinful. I have a deck of cards that say on the back, Second Baptist Church. I mean, this is how far it's come. Dice. And so you know what they would do? You know, Monopoly, you throw a thing of dice, you know what they used to do? You'd get a spinner to play Monopoly. 
Because dice, you don't use dice because criminals use dice. So you don't use dice. Well, criminals use cars. So we shouldn't use cars either. Right? There's no logic in it. And he says, let no man be your judge in these things. We are free in Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels. Taking a stand on visions he has seen inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. You know, people say, God spoke to me that that is wrong. Well, don't do it then. But don't put your vision upon me unless you can show me in Scripture. There are some churches you go to, people are hearing God all the time. You say, give me, give me a verse on that. Give me some scriptural reference to that. Well, God spoke it to me. Well, then that's for you. Not me. Because I don't regard you as the prophet in my life. Show me in scripture. He says, don't let them do this. This is inflated from their own mind to try to put this on somebody else. That is for them. Verse 19, and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows in growth which is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you are living in the world, do you submit yourselves to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. Verse 23, these are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Oh, wow, that guy, he, he beats his back with a chain. Wow, he's really spiritual. And the Bible says no. It's self-abasement, but it does nothing against fleshly indulgence. That does nothing to keep you from sinning. Nothing. Oh, wow, he's really spiritual. He only eats vegetables because of his commitment to God. The Bible says, actually, he's weaker then. But if that's what he wants to do, that's for him. He's not a legalist until he puts it upon someone else. And you can be a legalist by practicing everything and forcing your practicing of everything upon someone else. He says it has the appearance of, of, of religion. But it's of no value against fleshly indulgence. And that's what Jesus said. These things are eliminated from the body. I gave this same message about two years ago. Three years ago, maybe, in the Sunday school class to college students. And one guy was visiting and he sent me an email afterwards. He said, you were absolutely right on with everything. Cigarettes, alcohol, you were right on. Except one thing that you should have said. And that's eating processed beef in the United States. Because of what the cattle go through. Now look, I have some friends who are cattle ranchers. I've seen it. They took me to the feedlot. Those cattle are the happiest things on earth. All they do is they just eat all day. Before they slaughter them, they feed them on corn, and, and, it, and it does a lot for the meat. And so these cattle you know, wander all over Texas, and they eat these shrubs of stuff. But then before they slaughter them for like, I don't know, several weeks, they just eat corn, and it fattens them up. And it, and it, and it uh, uh, does wonders for the meat. And these cows didn't look to me like they were having a rough time at all. They could walk around. They usually had their heads stuck in the food. And there was a lot of vitamins they poured into them during this time. But in any case, you see, everybody wants their little pet peeve to become a sin. His pet peeve was processed beef. 
He wanted me to proclaim that as a sin so that everybody would start doing his little thing. And the last thing that the people fall upon is stumbling blocks. We can't be a stumbling block, and if eating meat makes me a stumbling block to another, I shouldn't do it. No, the Bible clearly says, in his presence, then don't eat meat. But that doesn't say you can't ever eat meat. That is, in fact, the stumbling block were the things of the world, not the church-induced stumbling blocks. Let me give you an example. Movies come. The church proclaims movies as sinful. Therefore, once they proclaim that as sinful, the community learns that the church has proclaimed it as sinful. So if a Christian goes to a movie, the church considers that person as being sinful. Therefore, movies, going to a movie for a Christian becomes a stumbling block. That's not a valid stumbling block. That's a church-made stumbling block. The church never should have deemed movies as being sinful. If the world, the practice of the world makes something inherently sinful, it makes something inherently bad, then to keep an offense, we shouldn't do it in the presence of that individual. So in summary, all amoral things in themselves are clean and not sinful. There is nothing inherent in cards, in dice, or in wine, or in meat eating, or other things of that nature that would make them wrong for the Christian to use. The stronger and more mature believer is the one who is free to do all things, feeling no pangs of conscience. The weaker believer is the one who has a problem with immoral things and so refrains. The weaker believer is not to condemn the stronger believer for participating, nor is the stronger believer to look down upon the weaker for not being able to participate. And while the life of liberty is encouraged as superior, living by a set of rules is in itself never condemned only discouraged. The situation ethics for the strong believer are based on the principle of how an action in a given situation will affect another, primarily a believer, but also how it will affect an unbeliever. And in the verses that I cited to you, those portions, this is, this is spelled out. And there is no set rule or principle which will work in every situation other than the principle of love. But the action must depend upon the situation. People say, you're teaching situational ethics? This is exactly what the scriptures teach in this area. It says, if eating meat is going to offend your brother, then don't eat meat. Then don't eat meat if it's going to offend your brother. So, you know, I I wouldn't go to the ultra-Orthodox section of Jerusalem and eat a ham sandwich. I mean, that is offensive. But that doesn't restrict me from eating a ham sandwich in Harlem. I mean, I care less if I eat a ham sandwich in Harlem. And this is situation ethics for something that is amoral. And this is exactly what the Scriptures teach. If it's in the Scriptures, in the New Testament, we obey it right out. The other things that are amoral, we can practice or not practice based on what the Lord tells us. There are scriptures that clearly tell us that we are not to be drunk. For example, Ephesians 5.18 tells us that we are not to be drunk with wine. So there is, an inhibition, there is a rule against being drunk in the New Testament, and we are to observe that. So there is a level at which a person can drink without being deemed drunk. There is a law that we have in our land that if you drink... You cannot drive at a certain level. 
And that law has to be obeyed because we are under the law of the land, the scriptures say. And there's the only basis for disobeying a law of the land is preaching the gospel, accepting the Lord, or for the preserving of human life. And if there's a law that says, kill that person, we are to take a stand and say, no, don't kill that person. Those are the only scriptural bases we have for disobeying the law of the land. So if the law of the land says you can't play cards, that is the law of the land, and then it becomes a violation for the believer to practice it because it's a violation of the law. But Jesus set us free. Let's not come back under the law of sin and death because the church has done exactly what the Pharisees have done. And I have long wondered, if Jesus were to come back today, would the church, me, would I treat Jesus just like the Pharisees did because he didn't fit into my model of what a spiritual person is. My model of what a good Christian is. Because he liked to go and sit with the sinners. It's, but if somebody has a problem with that, then they shouldn't have to practice it. A person who's an alcoholic, for example, former alcoholic, should feel quite free to never drink alcohol again. To never do it again because of the inherent problem they have. And then for them, it would be a sin to drink it. Because the Bible says if it's not practiced properly, it is a sin. But we are free in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for the Scriptures that are there to set us free. And Father, I pray for these young people that they would learn to walk in the freedom of Christ obeying the commandments in Scripture, in the New Testament, but also enjoying the freedoms of Christ. Father, I pray Your blessings to be upon them, that they would walk in that freedom and learn to enjoy the Word of God. Father, thank You for the absolute logic of the Word of God, the logic of Jesus' words and His arguments. And Father, thank You that Jesus said, I have come to set you free from this law of sin and death, that the New Testament says that we have better commandments, founded upon better promises. And there is great joy in obeying your commandments, because in them are life. Father, thank you for that. I pray for these young people, that they be set free. In the name of Jesus. Amen.